Well, good morning and welcome. As Pastor Mitchell has already given the welcomes, welcome to the Lord's house. And I trust today that you'll be blessed, not because of my words, but because of the Lord's words. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to Job chapter 1. As I was filling out the form at the back for Brother Andrew, I realised this was the third message that I've been in Job, once on a Wednesday night, and then two opportunities at church. Job chapter 1. This morning I would like to continue the series, as I mentioned, that I started so far in Job, and some of the things that I've covered so far is the placement of Job, with particular interest to the period in history that Job, the book And also Job, the person, was the physical geography, the penman of Job. And the last message, I looked at the purity of Job and looked at four aspects. You know, the life of Job can teach us many things. And this morning, I'd like to look at another P word, which I originally said, the paternity of Job. But I could really just simplify that and say the parenthood of Job. There's only a few verses in Job and on Job as a parent, but when we dissect these verses later in the message on Job's parenthood, we'll see that he takes his parenthood seriously. Let's read the first few verses. Verse 1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. Jump down to verse 4. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so that when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning, as Pastor Mitchell has already prayed, to gather together. We thank you for the hymns that have been sung. We thank you that we can glorify your holy name. And I pray this morning as we gather now around your word, that it'll be, thus saith the Lord, that it'll be words from you, not from me. And I pray that, Lord, you speak to me especially and to anyone who needs thy words in their heart today. I just pray that you bless this time and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm reminded of Bill and Gloria Gaither's song, Because He Lives. And the second verse goes like this. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still, the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives. I'd have to say that's probably one of my favourite favorite modern hymns. But what a blessing... And joy it must be for new parents. And I'm thinking this morning of Austin Miles. Doesn't it make your heart sore and pride with pride and joy when you hold a newborn baby, especially if it's your own? 
When you're holding a precious little baby in your hands, whether a parent, grandparent, uncle, aunt, brother, sister, or friend, you hold that newborn baby with such tender, loving care. You're so careful to hold the baby correctly. It's one of the first things you learn, I think, as a father, how to hold the baby. The last thing you want to do is is to drop this precious bundle of joy. You endeavour to hold it so carefully as to support the head and make the baby feel safe in your arms. You want to adore the baby and yet do everything in your power to protect it. Because at that moment of time, that little baby is so vulnerable. It can't fend for itself. It relies on you totally for food and nourishment. It relies on you for protection, for warmth, for care. And I will admit, as I recall that moment, it makes me very proud, and I'm sure it would make you very proud to be a father. But if you think about it, it should make you aware of your awesome responsibility that you have and unfortunately not all parents really take seriously. A responsibility that parents have for the rest of their lives, more so I think in the first 18 to 21 years of their lives, of a child's life. This morning I want to ask you one of the most important questions that I think a parent can ask and when asked you really need to find the answer. So my question is this, what is the most important or important things a parent can do for their child? What do I want to pass on to my child? What is the most important things that I want them to know? To answer this question, I want to come up with a simple list of things that I think are the most important things a parent can pass on to their children. However, you may disagree with me this morning. You may think that this or that should be added to my list. Let me just say that if I was to highlight everything that a parent passes on to their child, I would be here all day. Some good things, probably some bad things, but it is inevitable we're going to pass on a lot of things to our children. Now let me just quickly highlight that if you're not a parent, don't switch off. Because my list that I have comes up with some of the things that I've gleaned from Job. I would like to use the example of Job to highlight what really is applicable to all, regardless if you're a parent or not. But first let me establish two things that a parent needs to be. I'm sure there's many other things, but two things that I consider pretty important for a parent. A parent, first and foremost, needs to be a teacher. You can see where I'm going with this one, can't you? It's, uh, when it's a part of your life, it's pretty hard to, uh, to leave it alone. But I have a biblical basis for it. A parent, first and foremost, needs to be a teacher. Going back to the early days of the children of Israel, God commanded the children of Israel to make sure that they teach their children 
and instill and transfer to them important things that they must know. If you've got your Bibles with you, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. This was God making it very clear to Moses and the children of Israel. And it was a job that they had to fulfill. And this is what he said, Deuteronomy 4, 9 says, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they, they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons, especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days, and that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. It's quite a theme through this book because you'll find it in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 to 7, a very well-known passage if you want to turn over to Deuteronomy 6. I think Brother Jesse might have preached out of this passage recently or somebody. Deuteronomy 6, 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by thy way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. That covers just about every part of your daily life. You are to teach your children. The Lord wanted the children of Israel to remember all that he had done for them, but he knew their heart that it might forget or it might wander away <clears throat> over time. So be diligent to pass these things on to your children. Teach them my ways, put simply. So you probably agree with me that a parent must be a teacher to their children. The interesting thing about teaching is that teaching only happens when the student or child, in this case, is learning something. I can't be called a teacher if my pupils are not learning. Therefore, I must take it seriously. I must give the utmost diligence to passing on the things that are important for them in life. And there's a second thing that I'd like you to know, that a good teacher needs to lead by example. Have you ever heard the saying, do as I say and not as I do? You know, this saying has been around in history a long time. First recorded writings of that saying was in 1654. Talking about a preacher. Do as I say and not as I do. You know, I've mentioned this a couple of times in jest to my children. But really, do I ever as a good parent expect my children to obey my words if they see me not being the example that I should or ought to be? Can I really expect them to do as I say but not as I do? Can I honestly expect them to follow my words and not my actions? We have another saying about this, <clears throat> and I think one that one of our teachers tells me, more is caught than taught. 
Meaning you can say what you want, but actions speak louder than words. Somebody put it like this. If your words don't match your actions, then your children can't hear what you're saying because your actions are drowning out your words. Two very important things I think a parent or anybody needs to be. A teacher and to be a good example. You have to be an example in words and deeds. You know, the two really have to match up. I can't get away from the verse that Pastor Crockett has been using in his recent series, 1 Timothy 4.12, where he spoke about Timothy, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in, faith, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Pastor Crockett has done a wonderful series on that and it's been a real blessing as he's highlighted, be thou an example. Well, for a parent, for anyone for that matter, we need to be an example. I think of it this way. Paul is the old shepherd as he's writing 1 Timothy teaching his young shepherd, which is Timothy, to be like me. Be an example to the believers around you. Now, I'm not aware of Paul having any children of his own, nor do I know if Timothy had any children. But they both were shepherds of their flock, fulfilling a fatherly role in being a teacher who leads by example in words and deeds. So this morning, if you're not a parent but you might be a one-way leader or a Sunday school teacher or involved in some ministry. This is every bit applicable to you as it is to parents. We must, as Christians, teach others by the examples of our words and deeds. Brethren, let me say, if you're a grandparent, parent, uncle, aunt, sister, brother, or friend, and I'm pretty sure that covers just about everybody in this room. We have a responsibility as God's children for those that are saved to teach others, and especially to those around us and those who come after us to be an example of the believers in our words and our deeds. Now with that, I want to come to my simple list. Job's example. A good father who teaches their children, especially by the example that they set is firstly teach them firstly teaches them to fear the lord psalm 34:8 david said this o taste and see that the lord is good blessed is the man that trusteth in him o fear the lord ye his saints for there is no want to them that fear him the young lions do lack and suffer hunger but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. In other words, not be in want. Come ye, children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. King David knew the importance of teaching others the fear of the Lord. But let's go back to Job in chapter 1. Let's look at Job. Did he tick the box as a father? And now last time we looked at Job, we established the purity of Job. Let me just read verse 1 again to you of Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed 
evil. We know that Job feared God. It's recorded three times, and God declared it to Satan. He said, he, this is being Job, fears me with reverence and respect. And you would have known last time in our series of Job, we highlighted this, and this was something that was said concerning what does it mean to fear God. He feared God. He had a reverence for his majesty, a regard for his authority, and a dread of his wrath. So does Job tick the box? I think we can safely say yes. Let's ask the question of ourselves. Do we fear God? And does it show to those around us? Or do we hide it under a bushel, like a very familiar children's song goes? Are we teaching others to fear God by our lifestyle, by our example? Brethren, does your children, grandchildren, one-way children, Sunday school children, and even school children see the fear of the Lord in you? Do they see that reverence and respect that you have? Is this the example that you are demonstrating to their lives? Do you stand up for the things of the Lord? Do you teach it to those around you? Does the fear of God come out in everything that you do so that it is evident to all that come in contact with you? Questions I'll leave you to answer. Secondly, I want to see Job's love. Now, this is probably a little bit hard to find, but I want you to humor me a little minute as we look at this. Secondly, on my list that a father needs is to love his children. You might think that's pretty evident. What father doesn't when they hold that baby for the first time love that child? If you were to turn to Job 29, I'll read it for the sake of time, but if you were to turn to Job 29, this is what Job had to say as he reminisced about the loss of his children. You're all pretty familiar with Job's story, I'm sure. He lost every one of his children due to the hands of Satan. But Job 29 verse 1 says, Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in the months past, as in the days when God preserved me, when his candle shined upon my head, and when his light I walked through darkness. And sorry, and when by his light I walked through darkness. As I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, when the Almighty was with me, and when my children were about me. You can see the love that Job had for his children because he deeply missed them. He had great sorrow and sadness because of his loss. And if you turn back to Job chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, you will see in 4 and 5, these verses, that he desired for his children to be protected under the hand of the Almighty. And he sought to sanctify them, which shows great concern and love for his ten children. Verse 4 and 5 again. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And verse 5, it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this did Job continually. Notice the word continually. He took it seriously. He took time to bring every child before the Lord. 
And in the very off chance that they might have sinned in some way, he didn't want it on his conscience. And to me, it shows great love, not only for his God, but for also his children. Thirdly, I'd want to see that Job's provision, and this man did provide for his children in every way that you can imagine. Job would have provided well for his children. As children that once graced his table, they are now settled in their own homes, enjoying the prosperity and blessings of their father's righteous living. Job's duty as a father was not just to provide their physical needs, but more importantly, he took responsibility for their spiritual needs. And this also is a demonstration of true love. He sent for each one of them and sanctified them on the chance that they might have sinned unknowingly against God. The love that Job had and his duty and care for his children did not stop once they left home, but continued even when they were in their own homes and possibly with their own families. I'm sure Job would have seen his children as his precious jewels and more valuable to him than his possessions. Because we know how the story goes, he lost everything bar his life. Just providing for their spiritual, sorry, for their physical needs was not enough. He also provided for their spiritual needs. You know, we need to do the same thing. I'm sure any parent who's devoted to parenthood wants to provide all that they can for their children. I was reminiscent as I was thinking back this week of a story that I read at the beginning of this week. A mother overseas, just trying to think of the name of the country, she had 39 children. Uganda. Uganda, thank you, that's the word I was looking for. Most of them were twins, triplets and so forth. I think it was only 15 pregnancies. But after all that she's gone through and all the suffering, because I think her, the father ran out recently on the last set of babies, she worked tirelessly to provide everything she could for her family. And it gave a list of all the things that she did to bring in the money. I think they go through something like 25 kilograms of maize a day just to feed 30-odd children. I think the oldest is around 23. But when you go through her life story, you realise she suffered so greatly at the hands of her own parents and just being in such a, a difficult country where death happens so frequently. I think she's lost about six children. However, her last statement was, I just want my children to be happy. Loving our children is making sure that all aspects of their lives are catered for. As I said, we don't just have the duty to care for them and to attend to their physical needs, but we have a duty spiritually. And we're going to see this as I look at the last point, Job's priestly role. Fourthly on my list, I want to see how Job took the role of a priest to his family. We've already touched on this to some degree, but I want to see the other side of this verse that we've already read, verse 5, and it was so 
when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. When we started looking at the book of Job, we established this period of history comes before the Mosaic period where God sets up with the children of Israel the sacrificial system for the sin in the temple, and tabernacle. And of course, that was undertaken by the Levites. We do know, however, that God, with Adam and Eve, made a sacrifice of an animal to cover their sins and nakedness. Cain and Abel offered sacrifices to the Lord. One was pleasing to the Lord and the other was not. Noah sacrificed and burnt, brought burnt offerings unto the Lord after the flood. Abraham was commanded to sacrifice to the Lord. This was a system that God installed right from the very beginning to make an atonement for their sins, a sweet-smelling offering unto the Lord. And here, Job, we know that he's in that time period, I say, of, about Abraham. Job petitions God on behalf of his children. He makes an atonement for the very possibility of them having offended God in some way and sinning. Let me ask you this morning, fathers, do we exercise our priestly role in the family? You know, we don't need to bring sacrifices anymore because Jesus is the one-time perfect sacrifice for sin. But that does not end our spiritual responsibility to our children. Do we set the example to our children that God is important? Can they see in us that we value the things of God more than our possessions? And work commitments. The verse I didn't read earlier was verse 3, which highlights all of the possessions that Job had. He was a wealthy man. And his children obviously were wealthy as well because they had their own homes. You can see how the blessing of the father passed down to the children. He did that which is right. God blessed him and gave him much. But you know, God also can take away I want to list a few practical things and just ask the question, how do you demonstrate that God is important in your life? How do you bring your children to the Lord each day? Just having devotions with your children around the table, spending time with them, making sure that your children are here at church or providing a good church for your children, being able to attend group, youth group ministries, having access to God's word, I praise the Lord for our preachers. Now, I don't include myself here, but I praise the Lord really for our pastors is what I'm saying because I know they have access to my children. They're good examples. They teach our children the word of God. They show them by example godly living. That's what a good parent does. Make sure that their children are at the right place, right time, able to access the things of the Lord. Spending time with each individual child and addressing the matters of God with them, especially to each child's needs. There's practical things you can do. Praying for each child and petitioning the Father on their behalf. This demonstrates that our love is all-encompassing. We need to have that conversation with our children about Christ. It's not just the pastor's responsibility. It's not the school teacher's responsibility. It's the parent's responsibility to bring Christ to the child 
Mind you, not every child will accept, but that's their choice. It's still your responsibility to present Christ. You know, it's said that the only thing that we can take to heaven is our children. The only way they will ever get there is if they make Christ head of their lives and allow the Father in heaven to be their heavenly Father. You know, that doesn't come by chance. It comes by the diligence of someone sharing the gospel. And the best person to do this is their own parents, their own father, who should care for their soul. You know, we can't take our possessions. We can't take our work accomplishments to heaven, but we can take our children. So let me ask you this morning, what's your priority? As you know, I've got four children, and as t- at times I'm sure they have felt that I have 20 or, or so other children that are fighting for my attention. And while I need to keep all of my school commitments, being a teacher and a principal in the balance, you know, I do realise the Lord has blessed me with 25 children that, need, that I need to be the example to. You know, this at times challenges me as I understand the awesome responsibility that I have to those around me and not just to my own children. These students need me to not only give them a good academic start to life, but what is more important is they see Christ in me. That challenges me. It's a big responsibility. They must see my love for God and that I, in my actions, show the example of a godly man for Christ. You know, Job was the example to his children. He loved them, provided for them in every area of his life, and he took on that priestly role and cared for their souls. It's interesting to note this time that the children must have complied with their father's wish to come and to be sanctified by him. You'll see in verse 5 it said, And he sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings to the number of them all. He sent for them and they would have obliged and came to him. He sent for them so that he might sanctify them. Or another word is that he could, he could consecrate them to the Lord. I like the way that Matthew Henry puts it. He sent to them to prepare for solemn ordinances, sent and sanctified them, ordered them to examine their own conscience and repent of what they had done amiss in their feasting, to lay aside their vanity and compose themselves for religious exercises. Thus, he kept his authority over them for their good, and they submitted to it. Though they had gotten into their own houses, still he was the priest of the family, and at his altar they all attended, valuing their share in his prayers more than their share in his estate. Parents cannot give grace to their children. It is God that sanctifies. But they ought, by seasonable admonitions and counsel, to further their sanctification. 
Another aspect about his children, which gives us insight, I think, into Job's role as a parent, is, is something that really doesn't happen as well as it should. You know, all of the children seem to get along with each other. Even the point that they call their sisters to feast. And it brings out a couple of thoughts, and I want you to think about this for a minute. When they were feasting, this may, it might have been a simple celebration or a birthday party or a significant day to them. But if you noticed in verse 4, everyone his day, everyone on his day, it might have been that they went to each other's place for a birthday celebration or they took turns celebrating and feasting at each other's house. But you'll also notice that they sent and called for their sisters. Now I want you to think of the place where Job is. Job, as we found last time, lived in Edom, southeast of the Dead Sea, which is today modern-day Jordan. In most Arab countries, women don't have the same privileges as men. It's quite factual. You can read up about just about any country around that area. And you think of Jordan as a nation. Didn't even give them their women right to vote until 1974. Whereas a lot of the other Arab nations around them allowed the women to vote much earlier than they did. So in this occasion, the sons of Job showed great respect for their sisters. You know, it's unfortunately becoming less common for siblings these days to get along with each other. It only started with the very first two, Cain and Abel. Isaac's sons, David's sons, and many in Scripture highlighted that siblings sometimes just don't get along. And I know that sometimes it can have a direct correlation to how the parents parent. I'm not saying in every case, I'm not wanting to make great generalised statements, but think about it for a minute. You teach respect to your children. As I reflect on Job's life and how he took on the responsibilities as a parent, I see him as one who is diligent to the task. To answer the question that I started at the very beginning of the message, what is the most important things a parent can do for their child? What do I want to pass on to my child? What, what is the most important thing for them to know? To sum it up simply, I want my children to know and love the Lord and fear him so that they may have hope of life eternal and please the very God who created them, especially for his glory. Inheritance, money, possessions are only temporal, but the gift of God is eternal. Just think about it for a moment. Imagine if Job didn't spend time with his children and make them a priority before God. Imagine if he didn't make those sacrifices. He didn't petition the Father on their behalf. Where could the children now be as a result of them just a few verses later on being slaughtered? I want to finish with this story. Sorry for taking a bit long today. But this little girl, she belonged to a Christian family. And as she grew, she became a very beautiful and adorable little girl. The parents acknowledged the beauty of their daughter and thought they might just put her into a beauty contest. 
Well, she won hands down. Over time, they entered her into more and more contests. And as a result, it kept them from the church and from the Lord. And you can imagine that this lifestyle becomes all-consuming. You end up pampering your child with all the clothes and makeup and beauty products just so that she could have the edge over her competitors. One day, the, the girl was involved in an accident and her parents were somehow there by her side and they realised that she was dying. Her last words to her parents were, you taught me how to live, but you didn't teach me how to die. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to acknowledge that we need you. We need to fear you and to uphold you, not just in our own lives, but to the lives around us, to be that example that you want us to be. Help us in all that we do to be like Christ and to be committed and submitted to you. We thank you for this time and pray you bless it. The remainder in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got